Hello and welcome back to the Circular Economy Show podcast from the Ella MacArthur Foundation. In this series of episodes, we're featuring conversations from Summit 22, which was held a few months ago. And in this episode, we're hearing from two international organisations, Coca-Cola and Timberland, on their journey towards circularity. Later on, you'll hear me talk to Charlie Downs-Jackson, Global Director of Advanced Concepts at Timberland, about how they're taking on circularity. But first, Cara Pecknold, Global Lead for Sustainability at Frog, spoke to the Coca-Cola Company's Senior Director of Sustainability for Europe, Wouter Vermeulen, about scaling reuse. Bata, we have talked a little bit about this reuse topic and we saw what it looks like in various forms. Can you tell me a little bit about what the Coca-Cola company is doing in the space of reuse? Sure, with great pleasure. And first of all, thank you for for having me here today. I I think I would just want to contextualize this in, 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 in a broader perspective. I think we all know that in order to meet the SDG 2030 targets, the Paris Climate Agreement, we need to transform our food systems the way we produce, process, distribute, consume food and beverages. Uh, A third of our carbon impacts at Coca-Cola are linked to our packaging. So that means that if we want to play a role in supporting and and driving a resource-efficient, low-carbon, circular economy, packaging really needs to be at the core of 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 our focus areas. So that's why in 2018, we put in place a global world without waste ambition, which focused on collection, recyclability, the use of recycled materials. We followed up with a pledge to use less virgin PET materials. And indeed, a few months ago, um, we announced a a global ambition for uh, 25% of our global beverage volume by 2030 to come in reusable packaging, which is refillable, returnable glass PET or or dispensed solutions. Um, uh, You know, from a baseline of 16% in 2020, so that means that already, you know, in a lot of geographies, we have made some good progress in using reusable uh, beverage containers. So when we think about this reuse, we've talked about it being quite hard. These are the types of things that are difficult to scale. And there's a balance between taking action or making a pledge and a commitment, as you have already discussed, and then the infrastructure that's actually needed to execute. Can you talk a little bit about what Coca-Cola is doing to think through infrastructure and what needs to happen in order for this to actually to be successful at scale? Sure. So I would say it takes a village, right? (laughs) Um, we're, we're discussing here systemic change. So that means that all of the actors across the, the value and supply chain of our industry will have to chip in and will have to play their role. We as Coca-Cola company will, will continue to innovate and test and trial and share our learnings and insights with our customers, with our industry partners, with, with stakeholders. Um, but, but we can't do this alone. And there's no one-size-fits-all Um, In certain geographies, certain solutions work better than in others, building on previous experiences, like in North America, for instance, dispensed and reusable uh, cups for, you know, uh, freestyle dispensed machines is an area of opportunity for scaling. So we're working there, you know, with partners to develop uh, new prototypes of cups with the next next generation uh, cup challenge. We're working with partners like AB InBev and others on a 100-plus accelerator platform to, to innovate and, and bring about, you know, new models of reusable cups and vessels 
that's for the dispensed business. But then, you know, in other areas, the, the traditional returnable and refillable bottles are also an area of opportunity. Uh, in LATAM, you know, we have the universal bottle, and we can talk about that in a minute. But here in Europe, for instance, we are also looking at expanding our, foot, uh, our footprint in refillable and, and returnable packaging. But just to, to point to the size of the change needed, the whole soft drinks industry in Europe has more than 400 bottling facilities, you know, some of them running multiple filling lines. A one-way PET filling line cannot be converted to a refillable filling line. So that means, uh, and a returnable fill, uh, filling line, it's twice as costly as a one-way Right? So changing that whole infrastructure, those returnable filling lines are 50% slower. They take up two to three times as much space. We will need more production facilities. So as we usher in returnable, refillable bottles, we have to be really very, um, very aware of the changes at all levels of the whole supply chain. Yeah, so let's touch on that universal bottle as one of the innovations that Coca-Cola has taken as a next step. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you see sort of coming out of that? What sort of impact? We know it's working in Latin, but what will it need for us to move it into other geographies to be successful? Well, it is already moving into other geographies. It's currently being rolled out in Africa, for instance, um, because it is a proposition that um, addresses the affordability uh, concerns that consumers may have with uh, reusable packaging, right? Uh, and at the same time, you know, it's also as a company, a, from an operational perspective, um, it has its advantages. It's a multi-serve uh, PET bottle refillable that actually is standardized across multiple brands. What is changing is the label, Coca-Cola, Fanta, or Sprite. Uh, but it can be returned up to 25 times, right? And so in Brazil, uh, this two-liter multi-serve um, universal bottle has actually uh, enabled us to avoid bringing 200 million single-use plastic bottles per year to the market. So there are very tangible environmental benefits, but it also addresses consumer concerns. And I think as we look at scaling up solutions, we will need to identify those sweet spots you know, where we do address uh, consumer concerns related to convenience, to price, to taste, to quality, and, and you know, keeping the, the consumer central as we develop new solutions is a key uh, answer to the question like, how do we scale up, start with the consumer? In the challenges of getting more facilities and things like that, are you thinking through ways to do closed versus open? Are you thinking about ways, how could we do this at home? How could we do this on the go? Are there any initiatives or ideas that you might have? related to that. Sure, and I can touch on, on a few, but the starting point is that we align with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation's definition of reuse, which is really a very helpful framework you know, to guide our actions, and which is also, I think, proof of how we learn together and how we as companies also take inspiration from the partners that we work with. But for instance, for refill at home in Germany, uh, we have soda syrups where people at home can add syrup from a Fanta or a mezzo mix and just add carbonated water and they have their beverage. Uh, Refill on the go with Costa, our our coffee brand, Uh, they have this this cup called Bird, uh, borrow, use, reuse, take back, which actually allows you to to borrow a cup in one uh, Costa uh, store, top it up, fill it up with coffee, uh, you know, uh, uh, finish the beverage, and return it into another uh, Costa shop. 
So, so that is a solution as well. And then together with our bottling partners in, in France and, and, in, um, and in the UK, we're working with uh, Carrefour and Tesco you know, to have uh, an e-commerce solution where people can buy multiple refillable uh, products, including uh, beverages, get them delivered at home, and then have multiple options to, to return them back. So I think we are, we are running a lot of pilots and trials. It's, for us, it's going to be key to understand consumer behavior because we're actually in the process of creating new consumer habits. That doesn't go overnight. Consumers can be stubborn, and we should know because we are consumers ourselves, right? Um, and so that's going to take some work and some insights to, to get that right. But I think we're, we're on a journey. We're making great progress. But I think, you know, through pledges and commitments like ours, we create the pull factor, the demand, if you wish. Now, you know, we, we also look forward to see other partners in that whole ecosystem to chip in from policymakers to suppliers to industry partners to collectively uh, try to drive that transformation. So as we heard from Wouter, embracing circularity has many opportunities, but can also present multi-layered challenges. Now let's hear from another big company, Timberland, on how they're embracing regenerative practices. So Charlie, could you tell me what ambitions, the, uh, the ambitions that VF Corp has in the regenerative space and how that filters down into Timberland? So VF in the regenerative space, um, it's not just about regenerative, actually. So they have some science-based targets, but on top of that, they looked at their nine raw materials and realized actually it's one of the um, sort of biggest um, carbon emissions that we have within the supply chain. So we have nine materials, and we realized that within the, the, the growing, the processing, and the production, um, these are the ones that we needed to target so within that, their, their goal is in by 2030, those nine materials will come from uh, regenerative, renewable, and recyclable. So from a brand point of view, so I work for Timberland, this is kind of a really easy target to look at because we start with materials. So I work with the um, design and development for, for um, apparel. And so from our point of view, we're looking at making sure that we have a, an equitable future, a greener future. It's inherent with um, Timberland, um, about doing eco-innovation and sustainable products. So it's really important to us and has been for a long time. But now we're looking at really how we're leveraging that. So we're looking at it from a regenerative lens and also a circular lens. And so the two come together really to create that, that ecosystem. I, and uh, just off of memory, you have things emerging like uh, Timberloop and the yeah. tape-back system, correct? Yeah, so for us, there's, as I said, not one, one goal, it's, mm -hmm. it's multiple goals. So Timberloop was launched last year. It's about take-back, so we're now taking back product from our consumers. And then we're learning, we're on a learning process. We've got these products, some of them will be for resale, but some of them will be about how do we recycle them, how do we use them in the future. Um, and on top of that, we have some other projects that we, we sort of continue with. We've got some great regenerative, live regenerative projects that we're working with with farmers. And so this is a really big shift that you're doing. And like you said, it's a learning process. And I think in, all, in any learning process, there, is, there, there are challenges. Yeah. Um, so could you tell us a little about the challenges and even the opportunities that you found in this process? Yeah, so the, today Timberland has... Um, so we, we, as a brand, we went after th three key raw materials. So we have leather, rubber, and cotton. And as I said, I don't do footwear. So leather, they have um, three um, regenerative projects going across the world. So in the US, Australia, and Brazil. They're also working on a rubber regenerative project in Thailand. 
from an apparel point of view, cotton was our biggest um, sort of uh, fibre that we look at. So we've got projects going on in India. We're sort of supporting 600 farmers at the moment to be regenerative farmers, regenerative cotton farmers. We're also working a project in the US and in Turkey. So this is all coming together um, to hopefully um, test and learn. So we've got lots of different projects going on, and not just within the cotton um, circle, but in other areas as well. Um, the drawbacks, I guess, we've had um, is, is, is sort of threefold in a way that we have, um, from a VF standpoint, a very robust supply chain. So there's a lot of um, processes that always have to happen. And when you take on these projects, it's new. And we don't know what's going to happen and what the outcome will be. So really about doing these projects is the test and learn and, and how do we scale. Um, when you have a robust supply chain, disrupting that supply chain is sometimes a challenge. But from it, we'll learn more things and we'll pioneer more projects. I think the second piece for us away is about consumers and how do we tell this message of regenerative to consumers it's a really challenging um, topic. It's a big topic and be really overwhelming. So how do we break it down to sort of bite-sized pieces that consumer can sort of really relate to? Um, we know there's an appetite from it from a consumer basis, but we really need to understand how we can communicate, communicate to them um, so that they buy into this product. Because at the end of the day, regenerative cotton or standard cotton or regenerative leather or standard leather doesn't look or feel any different. So it's about the process that went on before that we need to really sell in. And the last one is really about changing policy within regions. So agriculture today, so subsidies and support from local government is really just on big projects. And what local governments, regional governments need to do is understand that supporting these little projects can really help benefit their country in the long term. So how do those subsidies get to those farmers? So, you know, we at Timberland are supporting these farmers on a five-year project to become regenerative, but, you know, um, we need to understand what's the next for them, how do they scale this, and how do we scale with them? Mm. So I'm, what, what I'm hearing is a lot of questions around scale and also mindset shift, which has been, I think, a theme yeah, absolutely. <laughs> for Summit 22. Um, my last question, um, quickly, in one sentence, <laughs> because we're running out of time, um, what has surprised you in this process? Um, oh, gosh, that's a really good... Um, I, I think it's uh, everyone's willingness to try and make stuff happen. Um, within our supply chain and with farmers and, um, yeah, the whole, the whole supply chain and how keen people are to make the change. Um, and we do have to get, make the change, but we have to make it together. I'm a big believer. You're bigger, as, you're, you're stronger together. And I think from my industry, the fashion industry, we tend to have very closed doors and not shared the information because historically that's the, the business. I think we need to come together and this sort of event is fantastic for those. That's not one sentence, but... <laughs> I really want us to keep coming together and sharing ideas because I think it's super important in the future. All right. Thank you, Charlie. Switching to regenerative practices involves a level of collaboration that some businesses haven't used before. And we're seeing signs from large companies that there is a willingness to do so. So this is the final part of our series of conversations from Summit 2022. To watch more sessions from the Summit, head to our YouTube channel via the link in the show notes. We'll be back next time to explore more stories from the circular economy. So make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening.